Hey guys, Ian here with another episode of Unleash and Unhinged, the podcast where we talk about all things dog. Dog training, dog behaviour, dog health, literally anything you can think about when it comes to dogs, we'll talk about on here. We hope you enjoy the episode. have got Dr. Emily Lucas with us from the Whole Hound. Hi. And today we're talking about why we would choose, and we're all in agreement here, I think, why we would choose uh, medication to help us with problem behaviors and everything else before punishment. Mm. Um, are we all in agreement? I hope we will be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think punishment will come into it full stop. No. I think, you know, when you do hear people who like, well, you know, I've, I've tried um, positive reinforcement. It didn't work. So my only other option here is, is to use aversives. Yeah, which that sentence in itself is flawed, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> if we're using positive reinforcement, we would have change in behaviour. By definition. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you want to get specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. if that doesn't happen or if the change is mild or the behaviour is not solid, so there are a lot of regressions, yeah. then it's kind of looking at, okay, maybe there is something more to what's going on as opposed that might be medical. Yeah. Would you say? And I'd say, I think that is majority of my caseload. Um, either referrals from trainers that are really experienced and they feel like they're not gaining traction they would expect for a typical case. And, like, every dog's going to be different, so we can't apply a blanket rule by a third or fifth visit. We expect this percentage of improvement but if they've used all of their tools and experience and we've reached kind of a plateau um, or we're just not even getting these opportunities for the animal to learn to even apply any of those that's often when I will be seeing them and I'll be using or talking about the use of medication to help create those opportunities for learning yeah I think there's a lot of stigma around meds, out there? Like, a lot of people kind of have misconceptions around what medication will do to their dog. Yeah, definitely. I think oh, I even had someone this afternoon that said, I absolutely am not going to put my dog on XYZ, which I think is fine for people to have that opinion. And um, I'm usually really receptive to that, but I think it's a misunderstanding of what medications even do. So often people will say, oh, I don't want my dog to be you know, a zombie or I don't want it to change their personality or my dog really loves playing, is that going to affect that? And in my opinion, if the medication does affect those things, then that medication or that dose is probably not appropriate for mm. that animal. And if you think about, you know, you just walk down the street or people you work with, a certain percentage of them are probably going to be on the same medications I'm using for dogs and you're not going to be able to perceive that. And they're probably super high-functioning, maybe very successful people, but because of lots of different factors, they they need medication to help them thrive, basically. Yeah. So, yeah. So would you just explain, maybe sort of break down a little bit more for the... Me. <laughs> the people. Um, the sort of... 
um, medications you use and what sort of behaviours are behind them and, and I'm asking a massive question I've just realised as it's about to fall yes. out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> so what sort of responses to medications would you be wanting to see from a client that you, you're having? So say, for example, let's look at a dog that has lightning, um, that is displaying anxiety inside the home. Yep. In terms of what sort of medication you would use, what would be the types of changes that you would be looking to see or if, if a client was to say, so how would I know that this is working for me? Yes, that's an excellent question. And when it lasts, yeah, it's yeah. in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I suppose that is why, and I'm sure we all experience the same thing, why our initial consults are so lengthy and why we ask for questionnaires and videos and that sort of thing. So often what I'm trying to determine in that first consult is what is normal for this dog and trying to differentiate what is actually normal or what falls within the confines of what I expect for a species specific behavior and then what is getting perhaps perceived as being normal but I interpret it as being not normal and then we have what we probably both agree is abnormal behavior um, and so I'm looking at um, just normal functioning often so I would say sleep is probably one of the biggest that I will see so a lot of people think that you know maybe their dogs sleep when we go to bed at night and then they're up and active throughout the day and in actual fact most dogs will be actually asleep for 14 to 16 hours a day but then the, you know, maybe 80% of that awake time is rest. I'm just resting and watching and observing and, and I will respond to changes in the environment if they require me to do so. But you might have some dogs, say for instance, in a home and it maybe you're living in an apartment and every time there is a change to the environment, whether that's someone opens a door, a dog barks, a bird makes a sound, the door buzzer goes and it elicits a really big response, often we will have these dogs that are constantly alert and um, you know searching or predicting these stresses and that impacts their ability to do something like sleep and rest so sleep would definitely be one of those are we seeing more sleep better quality sleep are they able to be disturbed but remain resting and relaxed so I can perceive that there's a change in the environment but it doesn't require my attention or action mm. Simple things like appetite can be good ones to measure, but it really depends on the dog. I've certainly met dogs that will eat a huge amount of food even when they're highly stressed. And then I have other dogs that are the opposite. And so sometimes we can use food intake. Their willingness to do other behaviors that we associate with a dog that's really fulfilled. So things like play, I probably expect that to increase if we have a dog that is no longer anxious and anticipating stresses, all of a sudden they can put that time and energy into things like play and social interaction. So often we'll see that change. I think as like some you touched on a second ago or a minute ago around people don't want to see their dog change, right? Yeah. But the thing is they also do. That's why they made the phone call. Yes, so true. <laughs> and they, they, I do find sometimes that people are misinterpreting maybe like agitation for energetic. Yes, And absolutely. constantly on the go. And when they see that dog all of a sudden like sleeping more, they go, oh, he's so sad. Yeah. He's not got the energy anymore. He's so sad. Whereas I often look at that and go... Now, that was our goal. Yeah. Our goal was to help him decompress and relax yeah. and recover because what's happening now is 
the same things are happening around him, but he doesn't feel compelled to act on them, which is a really totally. nice state of being. And, yeah. And the other thing I was going to mention there was like, I think play is a big one. Like we do see dogs play on the other end of the scale. When we see dogs that are really stressed, we see compulsive play. Yeah. So relentlessly bringing the ball yes. looks different to social engagement play. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, a couple yeah. of points there. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that is also that kind of social interaction or that like attention-seeking mm. behaviour. And that can be normal or it can be, I need your help. I'm asking for your help. I'm asking for information. I'm asking for um, support. And, and it's not a problem behaviour in that that dog is naughty or energetic or, you know, impulsive. It may be that that animal really needs that extra support. And so sometimes that would definitely be something that we see. I think it's probably important to um, briefly discuss what, medications are actually doing because that that might be a nice background (laughs) (laughs) so um in the brain there are neurotransmitters so they are chemicals that allow um signaling or communication in the brain and it's imagine it like a soup or a recipe we've got little bits of of everything and if we have all the right ingredients it's going to be you know maybe a really tasty soup but for many reasons we might have imbalances in neurotransmitters and what that means is is we might see because of that imbalance you know irritability high reactivity um, animals with really low resilience animals that are really anxious and and hypervigilant for instance Mm. um, dogs that are really fearful or dogs that are really you know reactive when they're under stress so that can be because we have a chemical imbalance so using medication what we're trying to do is correct or make those that recipe closer to normal or closer to functioning, which is why often once we find the right balance, we actually have a dog that is, you know, socially interacting with us normally, one that is performing normal bodily functions, one that is more resilient, perhaps more confident, but most importantly, particularly when we're talking about behaviour modification or training they're ready or in a state that they can learn. So that's what the medications are doing. So if we have too much of something because I'm giving the wrong medication for that dog, perhaps the wrong dose, maybe they're really sensitive, that's when we have dogs that we are adversely affecting their personality or they are zombies and it's because we're not we're not doing it right mm. yet. And you'll hear inevitable stories about how somebody will go, oh, well, I've tried meds, and it made my dog X and that was yes. something negative. Yeah. And often, like, something I'll kind of prep, if I've said to the client, like, hey, I, I think you're going to benefit from a conversation with a vet about uh, behavior meds, is you might, it doesn't mean they're going to nail it in the first like, attempt of trying to try get the dosage yeah. and the right medication. Totally. And yeah. it's like you and me, like, sometimes I'll put something in my body and I think I'm doing myself a favor. And shit, I'm up in a rash. Yeah. And like, it's not necessarily, it's not an exact science. It's not, you've got to go through a process of learning about, okay, how did that impact the dog? And how do we tweak that in order to make progress going forward? Yeah. And people often pull out when they see that yeah. adverse effect. And that can create a narrative around, well, the meds just made it worse. Yeah. But I think that can sometimes be from when I've had clients like that where I've come in and I've, I've said, look, I think 
like, are you need to see a vet behaviourist, one of the first things they will ask is, well, what's the difference? Yeah. Mm. Between my vet who has prescribed these drugs, these drugs that made my dog a zombie, mm-hmm. what's the difference between them and a vet behaviourist? So can you explain for everyone the difference between a vet, so yeah. a GP vet, and yourself a vet, vet yeah. behaviourist? So first, I'm just going to correct you. I can't Please use do. the term behaviorist, even though. Uh, uh, sorry, the, uh, <laughs> behavior vet. Behavior vet. My apologies. No, yeah, I know. Just, I, just it's um, in veterinary world, anything with an ist at the end uh, indicates specialty. So even though I and I can't even say I have a special interest in behavior, that's also a protected term, and that's fine. I totally understand there is a difference, but we have. When you graduate, you become like a GP practice vet, which means you've had exposure to lots of different types of medicine and surgery, which allows you to um, treat the average dog with the average concern. Unfortunately, with behaviour, we only get kind of a sliver of information. And depending on when you graduate, it well may be outdated because we know how quickly it is evolving in terms of how we understand behaviour in humans and dogs and learning and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and so what that means is is often you'll come out and you have inadequate preparation, I think, to, to see at least complex behavioural cases and even to the point of understanding how medications work. So the difference would be is, after being a GP vet is I have um, studied and I've sat a series of exams referred to as memberships. So I am a a, um, veterinary member of the Veterinary Behaviour Fellowship or um, uh, Australia and New Zealand (laughs) um, College of Scientists. Basically what that means is I have further study and accreditation in veterinary behaviour. So an understanding of behavior and how it works how learning works how pathology or disease in the body can affect behavior and then in the brain itself because often we'll see behavior change secondary to um uh, a health condition that's outside of the brain yeah so that's sort of the difference between a gp vet and me and then you have a specialist just to clarify and that's someone who's done a residency for usually several years under the care of a specialist and they've sat additional exams so they would be a veterinary behaviorist so do you find that because as i was saying before i've had clients where i've I've, um, turned up for the initial consultation and they have been prescribed something that i've seen to come across a lot of mm-hmm. with what's been prescribed by GP vets, which is trazodone. Yep. So just generalised um, situational um, medication that mm-hmm. they've been given for a behaviour that was more than situational, <laughs> was more yes. generalised. Yep. Um, and they found they only gave the dog um, the trazodone twice and they said that, you know, the dog was really zombified. Yeah. So I think if we use the wrong dose or perhaps a medication for the wrong purpose we're we're going to see side effects or that it just doesn't work so i think um for example trazodone the first few doses even at an appropriate dose level it's really common to see sedation as a side effect so that might be really beneficial if i'm giving it prior to a vet visit before a thunderstorm maybe before visitors are coming over where the dog being quiet and a bit sedate is actually going to be potentially beneficial but the problem is, is if we're trying to teach this dog something long-term, if they're sedated, they're not in a position where they're going to be able to perceive what's happening around them uh, and actually learn, you know, what behaviour is resulting in which outcomes. So 
in that case, it's not very beneficial. And then unfortunately, it means that we create this initial negative experience mm. talking about punishment and mm. with the use of medication. So, you know, I think that that's with, with anyone, particularly with veterinarians or anyone that's prescribing medication, you'll often use something that you're com- comfortable or familiar with. And so I think that's where perhaps certain individuals will, will always jump to a particular medication without understanding whether or not it's actually appropriate for what they're seeing in front of them. And I think that's one of the differences. You learn that through experience but also through study and examinations that allow me to differentiate which dog I think would do better on which medication and which dose and which frequency, etc. Mm. So I think that's why that happens. Yeah. You can see for the – it's like in – the training and the behavior medication aspect of it, like going seeking help can feel like a bit of a minefield. Yeah. Because people are turning to dog trainers and it being an unregulated industry, you know, you might get one dog trainer turn up and teach you some really cool methodology around, you know, how to help your dog with yeah. positive reinforcement on whatever that dog needs for that support. And then you're going to get some other kind of individual come out and basically crash tackle your dog into a corner yeah. Bully and bully it in there and both of them get to call themselves dog trainers mm. and that is that's a massive minefield but for somebody that doesn't like the idea of behavioral meds for dogs is not that old no and yeah. so of course traditionally everybody's just gone to their vet for help yeah and so there's probably not enough information out there around the difference of individuals that can help you with behavior meds. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And it's the same as in the dog industry. People, as you said, it's a minefield. You might Google, like, this is the problem I'm seeing or I need a dog trainer. And then the information you get, like, even if you were to Google in, like, behavior veterinarian in a West, which which should hit me, Mm. I might not even be on the first page, you know. But for me, my job is to create those relationships with vets in their clinics so that when they see something that they're uncomfortable seeing, that they have someone to send them on to. And that's really valuable. And to be honest, a lot of GP vets feel quite uncomfortable with behaviour. And I certainly did as a new graduate because I I wasn't equipped. So it was automatically scary. So I think um, being able to go, here's someone to see you, that's a good way of them kind of, you know, not taking on something they can't handle. But then also hopefully they learn from my reports that I send back to them. I know some of them read them, some. (laughs) (laughs) So the the concept of a specialist vet now is becoming, not just in behaviour, it's becoming more and more common practice. Like there's knee specialists, there's eye specialists, there's a specialist for every part of the body. Totally. And Mm. just like in human medicine now. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more common practice with our dogs, which is awesome because we can't be good at everything. Yeah. And yeah, it's, I think it's really important. Um, I'm going to switch. Yeah, let's do it. Just a touch. Yeah. Because the original question was, <laughs> why would this I use all the time? Why would I use uh, medication before punishment? Um, yeah. Give me, give, give me a good, a good reason. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I think, um, what I might start with, just I'm going to create some background to this answer. Yeah, great. Is um, we're probably going to have two different time frames, and that's important because as an owner, someone seeking help, if I have something that I perceive has an immediate response, mm. which might be something like punishment, 
I'm much more likely to choose that route because I've seen immediate change. Whereas if I choose something like medication, we might be talking about, we might see some change in two months, maybe. And then we might have to wait another two months after that to see another big change. So it's a bit harder for them to perceive and conceptualize and and jump on that train. Mm. But for me, I think the difference is, is first of all, punishment is going to be detrimental in my opinion Mm. to that animal both in terms of their emotional welfare because I am making something unpleasant for them I am potentially threatening them I'm making them feel unsafe and insecure I'm also potentially you know deteriorating my relationship with that dog and if I'm supposed to be their teacher someone to look for for information you know what what impact am I having on that relationship, which is so important. But also if we use something that is aversive, then what we're mimicking or, or contributing to is potentially anxiety. Anxiety being I'm unsure of what the outcome is going to be and it might be something scary. And the problem with that, if we think not just about the emotional welfare of the dog at the time, if an animal or a person is under distress, the hormones that are released in the brain, in particular cortisol and noradrenaline, they can impede learning. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, is we might think, or oh, the dog's responding to me doing X, Y, and Z, using punishment as a, a training methodology, but we're not actually creating consistent change mm-hmm. and we're probably contributing from a biological level to the problem. So I think that there's a lot of reasons why I wouldn't, use punishment in general, but also why I would choose medication over over that. And I think I'm biased because that's where my knowledge base is and my experience. So I, I definitely understand that. But yeah, I think if I can, the whole point of why I would put an animal on medication is to improve their welfare. Whereas mm-hmm. I think punishment is doing the opposite of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, with, with, with using punishment, I think the long-term effect, what is the sort of just to add to that. So when you were saying, you know, with medication, it might take two months. But the other thing that what people what might put people off, they wanted that instant, is it's also going to be paired with some behaviour modification oh, absolutely. protocol as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just about we're just going to put the dog on medication. Yeah. I am also going to have to put in this work and I might have to do this sort of management and I might have to do this as well. So yeah. if they are at that point of desperation and someone has said to them, I can fix this dog today yeah or I can fix it with this particular type of aversive method Mm -hmm. that person is more likely to go down that path whereas you know what you were saying and you know I think we I know we're all in agreements using an aversive like that might stop the behavior there yes but what about when it explodes out somewhere else which eventually is going to be a much longer term and we've all had experience with, with dogs that have been worked with with aversive behaviours. Aversive behaviours. Aversive techniques where the behaviour that they originally were working on was teeny tiny in comparison to the behaviour that they eventually come to us with. Yeah, exactly. And we eventually then send to you yeah. anyway because what has happened with everything you explained in terms of the trust and the change in the brain and their ability to learn and then what their expectations are in a general sense dependent on how often and where the aversive technique is, technique is being used, if it's yeah. being used at home by every person in the family and when the dog is out and when it's in a social 
situation yeah. and when it's at the vet. So if every situation this dog does something wrong and yeah. an aversive is then placed on the dog, then eventually you are going to get a dog that has generalised anxiety, possibly will display reactive behaviour or aggressive behaviour to try and prevent that. Yeah. Which then they'll come see us, which then we'll send to you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like the, 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 the dog that no longer displays the original unwanted behaviour, there's a good chance, like because of punishment, because of punitive methods, like there's a good chance that that dog is just sitting there living in fear of the fact that if they did that behaviour, they'll be punished. Yeah. Which is a shit quality of life. Definitely. Like that, that's a major like reason for me. It's a big problem. It's a massive problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's, I suppose, identifying that dog that is shut down versus a dog that's quietly yeah. sitting there and being able to differentiate those things. And then you um, just made me think of something because we were talking before about people going, oh, why use meds and it didn't work. Mm. Is medication in isolation often doesn't work. Yeah, that's not Because yeah. that's, that's not what it's there for. So we use it so that we can use our behaviour modification and our environmental management, finally it clicks into place. Mm. So that's a thing, yeah. And I think with punishment, for it to be effective, it has to be significantly aversive as mm -hmm. well, which then from an ethical perspective is a huge problem Yeah. as well. Well, it's, yeah, when you hear that, and I heard it yesterday with uh, someone who they had been advised to use a slipper lead with the dog and they're like, you know, it works. To which I said, why am I here? Yeah, well, exactly. If it works. <laughs> yeah. And then they said, well, you know, if we bought the lead out, you know, he would, like, he would do this and stop doing that. I said, okay, well, let's just talk about that. So when we are talking about aversive tools, the behaviour might stop while it's on yeah. or when presented because of the prediction or yeah. expectation of yeah. the aversive. But it doesn't fix yeah. the behaviour, which the behaviour is not a problem, but more when, you know, people are going, oh, but it, it fixed it. They stopped it. Well, yeah. are you still using it? Yes. And then, then it, it didn't. hasn't fixed it. <laughs> no. It's we, a reliant upon it. Yeah. We, we were talking off air before we started recording, like, which topic to talk about as well around, like, and the other one we were kind of weighing up was uh, the, the concept that positive reinforcement and medication might take longer. It might feel like it's more work. It might take longer in the long run than punishment because punishment often brings around that quick fix. Yeah. And you mentioned while you were talking it through around the t comparing the two around, well, yeah, old mate turns up with the quick fix option and then the idea of training and medication together feels like more work at the beginning and then two months later you still might have to reassess and carry on. But if you zoom out of that, that's six months down the track. Yeah. That's where you realize, oh, shit, I've really dug a hole for myself here because that is going to end up so much more work mm. when the, there's behavioral fallout, when there's more stress, when you're still having to nag your dog with showing them that lead because you're, that relationship's still there. It's like, oh, it's just annoying me. Yeah. Like, that's not a good way to live with... Anyone in your house, let alone mm. someone you've brought into your life to love. Yeah. And like, <laughs> but yeah, like there is a initial, normally there's a need for an initial investment of yeah. energy, time, but that's where you will see it 
gradually get better and easier. Whereas with punishment, what we see typically is you hit this plateau and it either stays pretty shit for a long time or just gets worse. Yes. It very rarely gets significantly better by bringing out punishment and aversives. Well, yeah. I mean, you're building a foundation. So when you're working with, you know, behavior modification and, and medication, so having the medication to get the brain into a position of learning and sustained learning, mm-hmm. right, rather than, you know, the aversive, it's like, oh, shit. Mm. Can I relax? No. Nope. <laughs> Can I relax? Oh, God. Whereas with that foundation of understanding and learning that's consistent over time where you get that gradual progression as opposed to that, well, I've got to keep doing this every single time the dog does something. The only foundation you're creating is a foundation of lack of trust. Mm. Yeah, and I think if you think about, if we're talking about motivation, like why is that, why they're doing the behaviour in the first place? And Mm. if we perceive or if we interpret and decide that that behaviour is from a place of uncertainty or insecurity or or fear or anxiety, then how is punishment going to address that motivation? Mm. So, you know, that emotional state will remain the same or if anything, it will probably get worse. Mm. And so that it makes sense that it's it's such a short-term solution, such a short-term solution. That That's a really good point. Like, and again, a fundamental reason why I think we're all, we are, we're, we've said that a few times. We've decided. We're, 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 we're all decided. on the same page. We're, we're good. We're really good. <laughs> but um, the problem behavior that we'll get a call for is often a symptom of the problem. Yes. And for me, addressing it with proactive training around like reducing stress. And then if that's not working, then we step in and help with, it, with some medication. Or we pair the two because that's what we need to do. We're going to address that emotional reason why the behavior was happening in the first place to be preventative. Yes. Whereas when we use punishment and we're correcting the symptom, we're punishing the symptom of the behavior and trying to suppress it. It's like if I have got a really, really bad diet and I am, my know. skin's flaring. I do. <laughs> but my skin doesn't flare up. No, you're, just, you're lucky. You say you had rash the other day. Generally, no. less. <laughs> um, but say my, my skin's flaring up because I've got a bad diet. It's like me putting um, like a, a, a makeup skin, on. Makeup on. Yes. Yeah. A skin cream on. What's this stuff? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this thing's on my face. Um, the, uh, but it's just going to maybe suppress the rash for a, an hour or two before I need to reapply. Yeah. Mm. Whereas if I had changed my diet, my diet's not that bad. <laughs> if I changed like my GCMA. diet, <laughs> <The> volume. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, the and I actually start putting things into my body that allow me to be healthier. Then I wouldn't have the rash in the first place. Exactly. Well, that's and that's that is. I think the main thing is that when trainers inverted commas with trainers, I do this often. Okay. I'm referring to <laughs> trainers. Uh, trainers come in and they don't understand the why. Mm. They don't actually take that step back. Right? And I think you said zoom out mm. and have a look at the dog and go, and what you, same as what you yeah. said, what is the motivation of this behavior? Yeah. It's not that the dog is just doing this to be a dick. And even when people use the word correction, for me, when you correct something, you only need to do it once. Mm. So correction should be understand the why to help the behavior that you're seeing that is the symptom of the why, mm. but that's not what happens. So it's, you know, not allowing the caregiver to understand that it's the why that we need to un- yes. really understand yeah, to yeah. fix the problem, fix, 
Mm. I'd just walk around just like this, this all the time. I probably start. No, no, no. If you go back, I'd do a lot of this. So you know, it's it's not that. It's, I, I forgot what I was going to say, but it's the why. Just look at the why. I'm so lost in yeah. this now. <laughs> well, I think it's um, going on that is it's so much easier, I think, for people to conceptualise or understand punishment. It's mm. just easier to make sense. And so I think that's why a lot of people will apply it because they understand the mechanics of it or, try, you know, seemingly understand the mechanics of it. And then as we talked about before, you often will see an immediate response. Mm. And But um, understanding the why, like we were talking just then, people in the industry sometimes find it difficult in some cases to understand the why and we do it all day. Mm. So how is the, the average person, which perhaps it's their first dog or their first problematic dog, how are they going to even try, you know, grasp and understand? Um, it's just so much more difficult. Mm. So much more challenging for them to, to understand, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, when you're thinking of humans, we have different specialists for humans. We have yeah. counsellors, we have psychologists, clinical psychologists, you know, and they all specialise in different, different parts, mm. as well as your GP yeah. or, you know, specialists for, you know, different types of medications and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's I don't see why there should really be a difference with another species that doesn't speak the language, yes, for us to have specialties or specialists in different areas of dog, and and actually go, okay, so so you do this, oh, and you're qualified. Wow, mm. amazing! Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other reasons we that you'd like to bring up? Hmm? Anything else on your mind? Oh, lots, but I don't think we have the time. <laughs> we Fair just enough. Have to, we have to bring it back. We do. We back for episode two. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll drink before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cocktails here. Yeah. We should do that. We should do that. We've said that before, but I've um, definitely had a beer on it before. But good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a safe space. It is a safe space. <laughs> on that note, guys, we'll leave you there. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dr. Emily. Yeah, Dr. Emily. Emily from the Whole Hound, guys. Look her up. She's <laughs> awesome. We love her. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'll speak again soon. Yes, yeah. you will. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. That's it for this week, guys. If you ever want to ask questions, give feedback, or just provide some suggestions regarding the podcast, find me on Ian Shivers Dog Advocate on Instagram. I'll be happy to help. If you're feeling really generous, leave us a review on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this podcast on. And if you want to nerd out more with us, then find our sponsors because they're the ones that make all of this possible. See you next week. This episode is sponsored by Canine Caregivers. I've had so many people reach out to me over the years not knowing where to turn to online for reliable and consistent advice on how to raise a healthy and happy dog. The information out there is hard to navigate, it's hard to know who to trust and who not to trust, and frankly some of it is just downright dangerous. That's why we created Canine Caregivers a place where you can come and get educational resources and access a supportive community founded on the care approach for people just like you, whether you've just brought a dog into your life or you've got a dog that is experiencing some unwanted behaviors. The content is updated regularly and we constantly keep in touch with our members to make sure that we are bringing relevant and up-to-date content that truly matters to you. There's different tiers of membership for different needs. So you can be sure that you don't have to break the bank to access the information that can literally make all the difference to the quality of life between you and your dog. Head to caninecaregivers.com.au to learn more.